For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to the Dirt Show. Lots of things have happened since we last met. Um, uh, the woman who um, accused uh, Donald Trump of raping and assaulting her has become a very, very wealthy woman. Even though the jury, you wouldn't know this from watching CNN, even though the jury found Trump not liable, not liable for rape. In other words, the jury, on a preponderance of the evidence, not even beyond a reasonable doubt, found that uh, Trump did not rape her so that her testimony about being raped, the jury found to be false. You wouldn't know that by watching CNN. They also, however, found that he sexually assaulted her. I don't know what that means. I'm pretty much of an expert on, on the law, but I find it hard to understand how somebody could be guilty of sexual assault and not rape in the context of a case like that where she described acts which, if true, would constitute rape. In any event, she's a very wealthy woman for the moment. The verdict will be changed. The amount will be reduced. Um, and, you know, the law that's being established here is so violative of the First Amendment. What the courts are saying now, they said it in the Ghislaine Maxwell case, and they are saying it in this case, is that if a person is accused, he or she has no right to defend themselves in the court of public opinion. If you say, no, I didn't do it, that can be seen as defamation. That was essentially what happened in the Ghislaine Maxwell uh, case, in the Trump case. He said a little bit more than just that um, he didn't do it. He kind of insulted her. But um, we'll see. We'll see what the courts uh, what the courts do in that case. We also have, you know, we have Super Bowl contenders now. I loved watching the games uh, this weekend. I was rooting for Detroit, not because I have any love for Detroit, but because it never been in the Super Bowl. And I thought, you know, when they were ahead, 17 points to the half, I thought it was pretty much of a shoe-in, but what a great comeback you have to give. You got to give credit where credit is due. And um, now I think the betting odds uh, are favoring San Francisco over Mahone. I have to tell you, as, as my son Elon says, if you're ever going to bet on sports, do not bet against Patrick Mahomes. Uh, he is a magician, uh, and uh, I would never bet against him. I, I would would think he would come through again. Look, the last game, not this one, the last game he won on a fluke. That is the opposing kicker missed an easy, easy field goal, which would have sent it into overtime if, if Mahomes hadn't used the the next two minutes to score, which he might very well have done. But um, I'm looking forward to two weeks from uh, now. I love a good close football game. Most Super Bowls have not been close. But this one, I suspect, uh, might very well be close. So now I'm going to tell you I am really, really mad at uh, something that's going on now within the Democratic Party and within the African-American uh, church community. Big headline in the New York Times saying that thousands of black pastors and ministers representing hundreds of thousands of petitioners 
are threatening the Democrats not to vote for Biden if he continues to support um, Israel. Why is the black church community so concerned about Israel and about the Palestinians? It's certainly not because the Palestinians are oppressed people and, and, and you have to be on the side of oppressed people. One of the ministers said, well, you know, we're oppressed people and they're oppressed people. Well, how about the blacks of Darfur and Sudan who are being subject to massacres now? I haven't heard a word from African-American leaders in support of black oppressed people in the Sudan because they're being oppressed by Arabs, by Muslims. But the black community suddenly sees this as the major issue of the day. One of the black pastors said, the black community hasn't been so agitated since the civil rights movement. And he says they weren't as agitated over the Iran-Iraq war. The Iran-Iraq war, estimates are as many as a million people were killed. No black concern about that. A million people being killed? Not a single demonstration, as far as I can tell. Uh, nobody threatening any administrations. But here you have the smallest number of people, civilians killed in any major urban battle in Gaza. And certainly there's a justification for the Israelis fighting back after they lost you know, 1,200 people brutally murdered and raped and 250 or so captured and taken hostage. But black church leaders, no, 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 we're not concerned. We don't care about the Kurds. We don't care about the Uyghurs in China. We don't care about the Ukrainians. We only care about the Palestinians people. There's only one reason for that. It has nothing to do with the Palestinian people. It has everything to do with the fact that Israel is the nation state of the Jewish people. So 30 years ago, my friend and colleague Skip Gates wrote a transformative piece in the New York Times talking about the tremendous rise in black anti-Semitism. He said there were studies that show that uh, anti-Semitism is twice as prevalent among the black population as among the white population, and mostly prevalent among young blacks and educated uh, blacks. And, you know, he wondered why, after all, blacks and Jews had worked so closely together. Indeed, Jews had founded the NAACP and had been instrumental in the civil rights movement, had helped support Martin Luther King, had been very much on the forefront. Jews died over the civil rights movement. Why should that relationship break up? Well, Skip Gates had a very interesting theory. He said it didn't break up because, despite the fact that Jews helped in the civil rights movement, but because Jewish right helped in the civil rights movement. Here's his theory. He said that the anti-Semitism came from um, Afrocentric, uh, younger Blacks who wanted to take over the leadership of the African-American movements, wanted to take it away from people like Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King had close relationships with the, with the Jewish community, and he condemned anti-Semitism. He says it's you know, as bad as racism, and he condemned anti-Zionism. He said uh, anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. But these young black leaders who wanted to take over from Martin Luther King, both before his death and then his legacy after his death, needed a scapegoat. Who are you going to pick as a scapegoat? The scapegoat of the world, the Jews, the Jews, and the nation state of the Jewish people. 
namely Israel. And so there is one reason and one reason alone why so many black church leaders are threatening to leave the Democratic Party. Let them leave as far as I'm concerned, but threatening to leave the Democratic Party because of Biden's support for Israel. One reason, and it's anti-Semitism. That's all. There's no other reason for it. The Palestinians do not deserve the unique support of the American black community. They have nothing in common. The Palestinians could have had a state six times at least and turned it down. The Uyghurs, the Kurds never could have had a state. They never were offered it. What about the people of Darfur? What about the people of Ukraine? Why, why the Palestinians? And the answer to the why the Palestinians is why the Jews? Why are so many African-Americans so anti-Semitic? And according to Skip Gates, 30 years ago, they were twice as anti-Semitic as the white community. I suspect today it's maybe double that. Um, and it's, it's wrong. And, and the world has a right to demand of black leaders and of the black community a single standard of justice. You cannot impose a double standard on the Jewish people and the Jewish state. You cannot impose a prejudicial standard on, on Jews and expect the world to look at you and treat you fairly. I'm going to treat you fairly no matter what. This is part of my DNA to treat you fairly, but I have the right to expect that you'll treat me and my people fairly as well. And I have the right to complain bitterly about black leaders and call them bigots, which is what I am doing to their face. There is no other explanation, none, for why black leaders, black pastors, black churchgoers, and, and the pervasive anti-Semitism applies throughout, throughout. Now, the vast majority of blacks are not anti-Semitic. The vast majority of blacks apply a single standard. But many, many, too many African-Americans, and according to a New York Times story, this includes young people, college-educated people, business people, wealthy people. They have something about the Jews, something about the Jews that is, is, is more prevalent than in other communities. You'd think that because African-Americans suffered so much discrimination based on their ethnicity, that they would be a little bit more sympathetic to a group of people who have suffered discrimination based on their ethnicity for thousands of years. But why are they less sympathetic? Why do they regard the Jews as the privileged and the oppressors? Israel is surrounded by millions of enemies sworn to its destruction. The Palestinians have the support of the United Nations, Russia, China, uh, the Arab world, the Muslim world, so many people. Why are they the oppressed? Um, go visit Ramallah. You'll see an open free city with no occupation, no Israeli police, no Israeli soldiers. That could be the Palestinian state. The Palestinians could have had a state 1938, 1948, 1967, 2000, 2001, 2004, 2005, 2007, 2008. And they always said no. The other oppressed groups could not, were never offered statehood. Why is there no sympathy? 
Why is there no sympathy by black leaders for black Africans being subject to a kind of mini genocide? According to The Economist, a very distinguished magazine, what's going on in Darfur, what's going on in the Sudan is a mini genocide. What happened is, is African warriors uh, descended on a black tribe, a very large black tribe, and they did it because they're darker skinned than others. Pure racism. Have you heard a single protest against that on any American campus? Have you heard a single protest against that in any black church? Have you heard a single protest in any black church or among students, and here I include white and black students on universities, about what's going on in, in Sudan or what's going on in China, what's going on in um, uh, Iraq, Iran, Syria, and Turkey in relation to the Kurdish people? No, they don't give a damn. It's not the Palestinian, it's not the Palestinian people they love. It's the Jewish people they hate. That's what it's all about. And let's be very clear about that, or else black pastors and black leaders justify your double standard. Justify why you threaten to leave the Democratic Party. Good riddance, but you threaten to leave the Democratic Party. I'm not saying good riddance to black voters. I'm saying to black pastors who single out the, the nation state of the Jewish people. Good riddance. Join whatever party you want to join. But I hope that Trump, I hope that uh, Biden doesn't listen to you for even 10 seconds, but he will. And, and, and there's fear that because of this concerted effort by black pastors and black leaders to extort um, uh, President Biden to change his policies uh, toward Israel, that maybe there will be a, a change. And if there is a change, boy, I can tell you there'll be a change in my voting pattern too, in the voting pattern of a lot of people I know who um, want to see a single standard applied. That's all we're asking for is a single standard of morality, a single standard of legality, a single standard of military operations, just a single standard, just not singling out one group of people and applying a double standard to them. That's what leaders of the black community have done. That's what many young students, white and black, have done. Uh, and that's what many academics uh, have done, applying a double standard. And a double standard is bigotry. A double standard is discrimination. A double standard violates the Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution if done by the government. A double standard is morally wrong. And so I appeal to leaders of the African-American community not to show appreciation for the fact that Jews helped so much in the civil rights uh, movement. Uh, I was down there. I know. Uh, and I have relatives who are very active in the black civil rights movement. No, don't show appreciation. Just be fair. Just apply a single standard. Apply the same standard to Arabs who are murdering blacks in the Sudan as uh, unprovoked, unprovoked with no reason for it, as you apply to the nation state of the Jewish people who is fighting for its survival against Hamas, against people who have sworn to repeat October 7th 
apply a single standard. That's all we're asking you to do. And it doesn't come from any reciprocity or desire for appreciation. You know, we will continue to support equality. I'm not going to continue to support, I'm never going to support, it's not a matter of continuing, DEI. I'm going to completely oppose DEI because DEI is not about equality. Diversity on university campuses has nothing to do with diversity. It has to do with more blacks. That's all. As long as you produce more blacks, we don't care if they all represent one point of view. They don't. There are as many points of view within the black community as there is within any other community. But we don't care about that. We who want diversity just want to be able to count the number of people of color that are sitting in any class. And if it's about 15%, that's diversity. We're happy. We don't care if all the white people in the class have the same point of view, if there are no conservatives, if there are no Christians, if there are no people who uh, support um, accessibility to guns or oppose climate control. We don't care about any of that. We just want numbers, numbers, produce 15% black class. We're happy. That's what their idea of diversity is about. That's why they don't call it equality. They call it equity. And that's why the phrase inclusion is so phony in DEI when inclusion means exclusion. And if you read the DEI statements that are put out by universities, inclusion excludes Jews, Asians, Cubans, and a, a list of other people that are excluded from inclusion. How do you exclude people from inclusion? You do it through bigotry, racism, discrimination, everything we're trying to fight against. And so these black pastors, these black churchmen have declared war on the Jewish people. Next time I write a book called War on the Jewish People, there'll be a chapter on these black bigots who are applying a double standard to Israel. Now they say, we're not anti-Zionists. We just don't like Israel. We just don't like any nation state that's the nation state of the Jewish people. It's okay to have states for black people. It's okay to have states for Muslim people. It's okay to have states for Arab people, but not for the Jewish people. But, but we're not anti-Semites. We're just anti-Zionists. We want a ceasefire. No, you don't want a ceasefire. You want surrender by Israel to Hamas, because that's what a unilateral ceasefire would be. Now, the black pastor said, yeah, we want release of the hostages. That's so easy to say, but what are you doing about it? And have you said even that the ceasefire should be conditional on review of the hostages? Not that I read. And, 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 and what about a mutual ceasefire? There was a ceasefire, in effect, on October 6th. It was broken on October 7th. Did anybody ask the United States for a ceasefire after 9-11? No, we completed the task. We destroyed ISIS. Uh, we should have done even more. So Israel should not be obliged to have a ceasefire, a unilateral ceasefire, a ceasefire while Hamas continues to dominate um, in, in, in Gaza, continues to have tunnels underneath the ground, continues to fire rockets into Israel. It's not a ceasefire, that's surrender. Would these black leaders have called for a ceasefire 
um, toward the end of the Second World War, when the Russian and and U.S. Army were approaching Berlin, no, 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 cease fire, cease fire, cease fire. Let 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 the Germans uh, uh, rearm. Cease fire. Uh, the Japanese should have had a ceasefire. Nobody called for that. Ceasefire is uniquely something that's been directed against Israel from the beginning of its warfare against those who would destroy it. A ceasefire occurred in 1967 and 1973. Israel is the only country that has not been able to win a war cleanly, even when it's been attacked. And Israel has never started a war. It's always been attacked. 1948, it declared independence, attacked by every Arab army, every Muslim army in the area. And, and, and it won. And then in 73, 67, it was threatened with annihilation and genocidal war. 73, it was attacked on, on Yom Kippur, and it surrounded the Egyptian army, but was not allowed to defeat the Egyptian army. The Egyptian army was allowed to surrender, and then uh, a peace process began. We'll see how long the peace process with Egypt and with Jordan lasts. And now, of course, we've seen three American brave soldiers uh, killed in their sleep or while they're resting uh, by an Iranian-inspired, paid-for, trained uh, drone. What's the United States going to do about it? Well, maybe we'll have a little pinprick and go after somebody or something no, that's not going to be enough. Uh, to deter Iran's proxies, you need to deter Iran. And that's not being done by the Biden administration. Uh, let's see. Maybe it will be done. Uh, Biden today and Blinken today said we'll do what we have to do and we'll do it at our own timing in our own way. I hope that's right. I'm going to give them an open mind on this issue, but it won't be enough just to have a tit-for-tat retaliation. The United States is a superpower, and when you attack a superpower and kill three of its soldiers, two SEALs died previously, uh, but when you kill its soldiers, there has to be a disproportionate response. There has to be a message sent to the Iranian mullahs, you kill three of our soldiers and we're going to come after you in a very serious way. And I, I am, I'm hoping that uh, that will happen. It remains to be seen, and we'll probably talk about that in shows to come. All right, let's look at some uh, emails, a lot of emails about who President Trump, who former President Trump and candidate Trump should pick to be his vice presidential candidate. Why is no one mentioning Sarah Huckabee Sanders? I think she'd be terrific. Um, I know her parents, uh, uh, and I like them very much. I don't know her. I used to watch her, obviously, a lot when she was the press secretary. She's terrific. She's now, you know, the governor of uh, her state and apparently doing a very good job. So I only left out her name because it hadn't been among the names that had been um, uh, touted. But I think she'd be terrific. Now, here's an idiotic letter. Nikki Haley is a bit to the left of Karl Marx and Frederick Engels. <laughs> what idiocy. Um, uh, Nikki Haley is a staunch conservative, far too conservative for my taste, for my wife's tastes. Um, she's too far to the right on issues of abortion, on um, other issues. Uh, but to the left of Karl Marx and Frederick Engels, this just shows total ignorance of how far left 
Marx and Engels and communism and socialism are. Uh, Nikki Haley is a staunch conservative, and um, she's not going to be picked, but uh, but uh, she would be a good candidate if she were picked. Uh, professor, in the show you recorded on Wednesday, you said Trump should pick Kamala Harris as his running mate. Obviously, that was a slip of the tongue. You obviously meant to say Nikki Haley. Was it a harmless error in speech? However, Trump did the same thing after he won the New Hampshire primary, confusing Nikki Haley and Nancy Pelosi. Because of that, Pelosi now says Trump is senile and unfit to hold office. Do you consider yourself senile, Professor? No, I don't. Um, I think some of you who write me letters, um, when I say I'm going to likely vote for uh, Biden, well, I'm not sure of that. Depends. There's a question about that. I'll answer. But no, I don't think of my senile. Okay, here's a question. Do Jews stick together? Are you kidding? Uh, there's an old expression, two Jews, three opinions. I don't think there's any group that's more divided uh, than Jews. They're divided politically. Uh, many vote Democrat, uh, many vote Republican. They're divided religiously. There's, um, you know, ultra-Orthodox, modern Orthodox, conservative, reform, reconstructionist. You know, I've never been in a room with 10 Jews where anybody agrees with anybody. So no, Jews don't, don't stick together. In fact, many of the most vicious attacks on Israel recently have come from an organization called the Jewish Voice for Peace. It's not really a Jewish organization, but it tends to be. But there are, you know, Jewish anti-Zionists and there are Jewish anti-Semites. Uh, Norman Finkelstein is a, a, an anti-Semite whose parents were Jewish. I think his mother was an anti-Semite as well. So it, it runs in the family. Um, Okay, no, I, I don't think I'm senile, but that's for you to determine. Here's another idiocy. John F. Kennedy was a fan of Hitler when Hitler was still alive, and Dershowitz voted for JFK? Think about that. No, 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 you're confused. John F. Kennedy was a strong opponent of Hitler. In fact, he wrote his um, college thesis, I think it was called While Europe Slept, about the growth of Hitler and how... Um, how we made a mistake of, of not being sensitive to Hitler's evil. His father, Joseph Kennedy, had talked about the possibility of making peace with Hitler. I don't think he was a fan of Hitler. I think he believed that Hitler could and would dominate all of Europe, and it might be better for the world to make peace. He was wrong, and that probably cost him the, the presidency of the United States. It made him uh, not a candidate that could possibly win once Germany uh, and the United States went to war in December of 1941. We now all know that voters overwhelmingly vote their economic interests. The Middle East and Ukraine are not high on voters' interests. That's true. Uh, they're, they're about fourth or fifth on the list. If foreign policy was what voters were concerned about, then past numbers of years failed foreign policy would never have happened. Look, the issues, the the two major issues are the economy and immigration. Immigration is partially, I mean, half of it is a foreign policy issue. The people who are in Mexico trying to come in, their foreign policy until they come in, then their domestic policy. But I agree with you. The issues that will determine this election are economic. Now, the economy is doing much better now. Stock market's way up, jobs. So the economy may be at a very high position um, eight, seven, eight months from now, and um, and and who knows? Maybe if Biden 
um, and the Democrats can agree to a deal on immigration, immigration may be uh, an issue that will help the at least won't hurt the Democrats terribly in the uh, upcoming election. So we'll see what are the major issues. I do think that character is going to be a big issue in this election, which is why I think that the trials and possible convictions and the verdict in the Carroll case may have some influence on independent voters. So who are you going to vote for if Biden gives in to the progressives, Dersh? Well, I'm not going to vote for Biden if he gives in to the progressives on issues that I deeply uh, care about, but I'm going to fight hard to see that he doesn't give in to the progressives, uh, the woke progressive uh, DEI intersectionality people are extraordinarily dangerous to America in many ways, more dangerous than, than the right is today. So I will take all of that into consideration uh, in, in November. Um, Here's one who says, Professor, you're on the mark saying that Nikki Haley as vice president would make the GOP ticket formidable. It would. It's not going to happen because Trump is not going to pick somebody who has been so opposed to him. The fact that you nominated Jared Kushner for a Nobel Prize, despite all the slack you might have gotten from your damn friends, shows you really are about truth and justice. Kushner did deserve it. Just come out and say you support Trump. Enough with this gobbledygook about Biden. Look, I don't support Trump. Um, I, I support a lot of the things he did. I have a much more nuanced view than many of my friends do about Trump. I see strengths. I see weaknesses. I see strengths. And I see weaknesses in Biden. I am not a strident Democrat at all costs or a strident Biden supporter at all costs. Ah, okay. Oh, this is the dumbest one of all. I think a Trump-Alex Jones ticket would bring the country together. Yeah, it would get 17 voters who would vote for 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 Alex Jones, um, and um, uh, it would you know make make the the ticket not only extreme, extreme, extremely right wing, but extremely. You know, dishonest. I mean, Alex Jones has been a conspiracy theorist who's just made up story after story. And so I sure hope that he's not being considered. I don't believe he is being considered. We'll continue to talk about these issues and many other issues. I'll tell you, it's great to have a podcast because there are so many fascinating issues out there. And thank you again for your letters. And thank you for reading my book, uh, um, War Against the Jews. I'm in the process of finishing a new book called War Against Woke, uh, but that won't be for a couple of months. So in the meantime, if you want to read me, it's War Against the Jews, and uh, I'll see you tomorrow. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.